morning, everyone. Before we, before I get started this morning, I'd like you just to rejoice with me that I am not on the basic backpacking trip. <laughs> Mike, I'm sorry, but I was just thinking about them getting up probably in the rain this morning and every stitch of clothing wet and um, knowing they have five or six miles to hike out and feet sore and and I was just thankful that I'm not there. <laughs> One of my favorite memories of all time in BASIC was early on in our campout experience, uh, Dan Myers showed me how to um, arrange a hammock comfortably where you, you have the hammock between two trees and you put in a, I don't think Dan did, but I put in a little, uh, one of those blow-up uh, bedding things and then you, you somehow finagle your body in uh, so that you don't fall out and uh, then you maybe carabine the, the sides of the hammock together so you can't fall out and then you string a string across between the two trees above your head and put a tarp and if you're lucky the, the wind doesn't blow the tarp off um, but one particular night everything was going right for me I was sleepy and I was cozy in my hammock and the wind didn't blow the tarp off and sure enough it started to rain and it, it rained heavier and heavier and pretty soon I hear uh, Josh, uh, uh, Josh Ross and Matt Kirkendall fighting. I, I hear Josh saying everything's wet and Matt saying get off me. Uh, <laughs> and, Pretty soon all the kids are screaming because they're all soaked in the tents and I'm just snug as a bug in this little cocoon and smiling and it was just one of the most wonderful memories. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I even, you know, rubbed it in a little bit by saying, quiet you guys, I'm trying to sleep. And uh, anyway, I'm glad I'm not there. But... Um, We sang the song this morning, Amazing Love, How Can It Be That You, My King, Would Die For Me? We sang, All of My Days I Want to Praise the Wonders of Your Mighty Love. I've been thinking about the love of God this week and just meditating on how powerful the love of God is, and I want to share some of my thoughts with you. Some of the scriptures I've been looking at is, of course, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We can never forget that passage, uh, so fundamental to our faith. And then Ephesians 2.4-7, I remember Bill Sanders up here, one Sunday, reading this passage and saying, but God, amen, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions. How many of you can remember being absolutely dead in your transgressions and sins, totally lost and separate from the love of God? What a terrible place to be. 
He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I thought of 1 John 3, 1, see what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And as I was exiting the building uh, yesterday morning with Beth Troutman after worship rehearsal, I mentioned that I was talking on the love of God, and she, she said, I think of the word lavished, uh, and that comes from Ephesians 1 verse 8, but let me start up in verse 3 and read down to this word lavished. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Do you believe that, that he chose you before the foundation of the world? to be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And here it is, which he lavished upon us and Beth was saying that her, um, the way she thinks about that is too much hand lotion. And, you know, when you squirt on hand lotion, you know this, Ed, don't you? When you, you, know, when you? when you squirt on hand lotion and you get too much and you just have to find somebody to, to give it to because there's just too much, um, that's the word lavished that Beth thinks of. But I've been especially thinking of the verse, um, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. You don't need to turn there, I'll read it to you. For the love of Christ controls us. Some versions say compels us or constrains us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. The love of Christ controls us. This is the word sunexai. It means to be held in one's grip. It means to be controlled by or to, to be ruled by, to be dominated by, to be left with no choice, one translator writes to be compelled by. Paul is saying, I can no longer live for myself since the love of Christ within me has so utterly claimed me, it pushes me from within. Now, I want to be clear, we're not talking here, Paul wasn't talking here about his love for Christ compelling him, right? He was talking about God's love that has been put inside him is what pushes him and what constrains him, and what controls him. It's like Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and delivered himself up for me. Let it be, Lord. Let it be. So this love of God in us, it pushes us, doesn't it? It pushes us to love. It's a powerful push. And so the title of this message is Pushed by the Love of God. And I want to give you three reasons why that that love pushes us. The first is that the love of God has been demonstrated to us. The love of God has been demonstrated to us in Jesus Christ. The second reason we're pushed from within is because the love of God has actually been placed within us. It's been placed within us. And third, the love of God continues to cry out for the rest of the world. Amen? How many of you in your hearts these days are feeling a kind of a a new awakening to reach out to the lost, to reach out to the poor, to reach out to the hurting? How many of you would say that there's that, that movement of the Holy Spirit in your heart these days? I sense it in my heart, just this... Um, this dissatisfaction with my own uh, level of effort, my own level of passion to continue to reach out to those who have yet to uh, be found mature in Christ. So the love of God pushes us from within. Let's, Let's look first at the love of God that has been demonstrated to us. I wonder what verse you think of. Uh, I think the word demonstrates keys me in on Romans uh, 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want to read to you a a story that I read many years ago uh, here uh, to hopefully break down our defenses and help us be emotionally impacted once again by what Christ has done for us. This is a very powerful story. The time is the 1920s. The place is Oklahoma. And there's a man named John Griffith in his early 20s. He's newly married and he's full of optimism. Along with his lovely wife, he'd been blessed with a beautiful blue-eyed baby. And with delight and excitement, John was dreaming the American dream. He wanted to be a traveler. He imagined what it would be like to visit faraway places with strange-sounding names. He would read about them and research them. His hopes and dreams were so vivid that at times they seemed more real than reality itself. But then came 1929 and the great stock market crash. With the shattering of the American economy came the devastation of John's dreams. The winds that howled through Oklahoma were strangely symbolic of the gale force that was sweeping away his hopes. Oklahoma was being systematically ravaged by depression and despair. And so, brokenhearted, John packed up a few of his possessions and with his wife and his little son, Greg, headed east in an old Model A Ford. They made their way towards Missouri to the edge of the Mississippi River, and there he found a job tending one of the great railroad bridges that spanned the massive river. Day after day, John would sit in a control room and direct the enormous gears of an immense bridge over the mighty river. He would look out wistfully 
as bulky barges and splendid ships glided gracefully under his elevated bridge. Then mechanically he would lower the massive structure and stare pensively into the distance as great trains roared by and became little more than specks on the horizon. Each day he looked sadly as they carried with them his shattered dreams and his visions of far-off places and exotic destinations. It wasn't until 1937 that a new dream began to be birthed in his heart. His young son was now eight years old, and John had begun to catch a vision for a new life, a life in which Greg, his son, would work shoulder to shoulder with him, a life of intimate fellowship and friendship. The first day of this new life dawned and brought with it new hope and a fresh purpose. Excitedly, they packed their lunches and arm in arm headed off to the immense bridge. Greg looked on in wide eyes amazement as his dad pressed down the huge lever that raised and lowered the vast bridge. As he watched, he thought of his father. He thought his father must surely be the greatest man alive. He marveled that his dad could single-handedly control the movements of such a stupendous structure. Before they knew it, noontime had arrived. John had just elevated the bridge and allowed some scheduled ships to pass through. And then taking his son by the hand, they headed off for lunch. Hand in hand, they inched their way down a narrow catwalk and out onto an observation deck that projected some 50 feet over the majestic Mississippi. There they sat and watched spellbound as the ships passed by below. As they ate, John told his son in vivid detail stories about the marvelous destinations of the ships that glided below them. Enveloped in a world of thought, John related story after story, his son hanging on every word. Then suddenly, in the midst of telling a tale about the time the river had overflowed its banks, he and his son were startled back to reality by the shrieking whistle of a distant train. Looking at his watch in disbelief, John saw that it was already 107. Immediately, he rem remembered that the bridge was still raised and that the Memphis Express would be by in just minutes. Not wanting to alarm his son, he suppressed his panic. In the calmest tone he could muster, he instructed his son to stay put. Quickly leaping to his feet, he jumped onto the catwalk. As the precious seconds flew by, he ran at full tilt to the st steel ladder leading to the control house. Once in, he searched the river to make sure that no ships were in sight, and then, as he had been trained to do, he looked straight down beneath the bridge to make certain nothing was below. As his eyes moved downward, he saw something so horrifying that his heart froze in his chest. For there below him in the massive gearbox that housed the colossal gears that moved the gigantic bridge was his beloved son. Apparently, Greg had tried to follow his dad but had fallen off the catwalk. Even now, he was wedged between the teeth of two main cogs in the gearbox. Though he appeared to be conscious, John could see that his son's leg had already begun to bleed profusely. Immediately, an even more horrifying thought flashed through his mind, for in that instant, he knew that lowering the bridge meant killing the apple of his eye. Panicked, his mind probed in every direction, frantically searching for a solution. He, a plan emerged. In his mind's eye, he saw himself grabbing the coiled rope, climbing down the ladder, running down the catwalk, securing the rope, 
sliding down toward his son and pulling him back up to safety. Then in an instant, he would move back down toward the control lever and thrust it down just in time for the oncoming train. As soon as these thoughts appeared, however, he realized the futility of his plan. Instantly, he knew that there wouldn't be enough time. Perspiration began to beat on his brow, terror written over every inch of his face. His mind darted here and there, vainly searching for yet another solution. What would he do? What could he do? His thoughts rushed in anguish to the oncoming train. In a state of panic, he agon his agonized mind considered the 400 people that were moving inexorably closer toward the bridge. Soon the train would come roaring out of the trees with tremendous speed. But this, this was his son, his only child, his pride, his joy, his mother. He could see her tear-stained face now. This was their child, their beloved son. He was his father, and this was his boy. But he knew in a moment there was only one thing he could do. He knew he would have to do it. And so, burying his face under his left arm, he plunged down the lever. The cries of his son were quickly drowned out by the relentless sound of the bridge as it ground slowly into position. With only seconds to spare, the Memphis Express, with its 400 passengers, roared out of the trees and across the mighty bridge. John Griffith listed, lifted his tear-stained face and looked into the windows of the passing train. A businessman was reading the morning newspaper. A uniformed conductor was glancing nonchalantly at his large pocket watch. Ladies were already sipping their afternoon tea in the dining cars, and a small boy, looking strangely like his own son, Greg, pushed a long, thin spoon into a large dish of ice cream. Many of the passengers seemed to be engaged in either idle conversation or careless laughter. But no one looked his way. No one even cast a glance at the giant gearbox that housed the man mangled remains of his hopes and dreams. In anguish, he pounded the glass in the control room and cried out, what's the matter with you people? Don't you care? Don't you know I've sacrificed my son for you? What's wrong with you? But no one answered. No one heard. No one even looked. Not one of them seemed to care. And then as suddenly as it, as it had happened, it was over. The train disappeared, moving rapidly across the bridge and out over the horizon. This story is a faint glimpse of what God the Father did for us in sacrificing his son, Jesus, to atone for the sins of the world. Unlike the Memphis Express that caught John by surprise, our father wasn't caught by surprise, was he? This was according to his sovereign will and purpose. He determined to sacrifice his son, Jesus Christ, that we might live. And not only that, but Jesus Christ wasn't caught either, was he? He went to the cross willingly. He said, no one takes my life from me, but I give it freely. A powerful, powerful story.
And yet it makes me think of Isaiah 53:10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offering, offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Maybe some of you remember the old song, He Paid a Debt He Did Not Owe. Anybody remember that song? He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. But now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. I know that if I ask you to come up here and tell how how God has personally shown you that he loves you, there would be story after story after story. His love has been demonstrated to us. Amen? Both through Jesus Christ and through what God has done in our individual lives, one reason that the love of God pushes us is because there is no question, but his love has been demonstrated to us. But that's not all. His love has been placed within us as well. 1 John 4, 16 and 17. Uh, let me look that one up. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. One of the things that the Truth Project films are talking about is that, is that God, is, God is good, God is love. There's, it's not that good exists above God and God chooses to be good. It's not that there is love that exists and God, above God and God chooses to be loving. No, these things are these things because they are the nature of God. They flow out of who he is. He defines love. He defines good. They come out of his nature. And how amazing is it that the God of the universe, who is love, desires to come and live inside of us? How amazing is that, that the God of the universe, who is love, wants to come and make his home? in the human heart. That, that is a mystery that is one of the mysteries that's talked about in the New Testament. Um, some of you might uh, be thinking of um, the mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory that we read about in Colossians 1. Uh, let's turn there together and read about that. Colossians chapter 1, let's start in verse 25, and we read about this tremendous mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Paul is writing here and he says, of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God 
bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Think about the fact that when Christ comes in, his power comes into us. His presence comes into us. His purity comes into us. His um, peace comes into us, and the promise of glory comes into us. This is a deep, deep mystery. Um, I like the fact that sin no longer satisfies. After you've taken Jesus Christ, after he has made his home in you, that sin no longer satisfies. We become miserable sinners, don't we, if we sin? We become miserable. I heard uh, the saying, we are, we are not uh, lovers of sin who occasionally worship God after we get saved. We are lovers of God who occasionally sin. Isn't that good? Yeah. Lovers of God who occasionally sin. We remember that he is changing us from within. That beautiful verse in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So God has placed his love in us. It's pushing us because it is his love within us, placed within us. I think of one more verse, 1 Corinthians six seventeen. For the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Isn't this an incredible mystery? Isn't this an incredible truth that God has come to live inside us by the new birth? So the love of God pushes us because it's been demonstrated to us. It pushes us because it's been the Holy Spirit is within us and the love of God is within us. And then number three... It pushes us because the love of God continues to cry out for the rest of the world. You might remember verses like 1 Timothy 2.4 and 2 Peter 3.8. God desires all men to be saved and come to a saving knowledge or come to, to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance and then you remember Jesus at the Feast of Booths where he said to his brothers he was not going to go up and then later he goes up. The last day of that feast, he stood in the temple, I believe it was, and he cried out. Do you remember this? He cried out, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit, 
whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I had a, a beautiful uh, time with, with Spence, uh, Spencer this week. Just a, just a time together to share and fellowship. And one of the funny things he told me was that, um, that he was actually very shy as a child, but uh, now he's become very bold, and, and yet he's still learning and still growing. And so when he's in the shower, Spencer said, he, he just loves to preach and evangelize. And he feels very free in those moments to, to, to let it rip. And so Sarah Joy, when he comes out of the shower, Sarah Joy will often say, did anyone get saved? <laughs> the love of God continues to cry out for the rest of the world. There are many in this city, aren't there? Many unsaved people, many saved but not in a local church, many saved but not discipled. There are many who are saved but captive to some habitual sin. Many who are saved but lack the character of Christ. Will we love these with the love of Christ? Sometimes when I meet a Christian who um, is lacking in some of these things, I, my, my fleshly response is you should know better. And... Um, I don't know, you know, not to, not to reach out to them in love as I should. And um, I, I really am asking the Lord to help me with that, you know, that the love of Christ needs to push, and it does push, and we need to let it push us in these situations. So for conclusion, I want to say, will you let the love of God push you into new and greater action. How many would say, that's my heart? I want to let the love of God push me into new and greater action. I'd like to just invite any who uh, that reflects your heart to stand with me and uh, let's, let's pray and believe God for great things in the future. While you're standing, let me just read a couple of verses and then we'll pray. This is from Luke chapter 6. It says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Father, we thank you for the truth that you have demonstrated your love for us in Jesus Christ. 
and in our personal experience, you have demonstrated your great love for us. And Father, what a mystery that you would even not just show us your love, but you would be willing to come and indwell the human heart. You would come and dwell through your Holy Spirit in us and that you would be loving and kind and gracious to change us from the inside out, to allow us to experience your presence and your power, your purity, your peace, and the promise of glory. And Father, we just want to ask and, and give you ourselves in a fresh way to let your love push us into new and greater action, Father. So we just offer ourselves up to you, those who are standing. Lord, we offer ourselves up to you. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would direct us. You would give us creative ideas. You would give us um, ministry opportunities. You would help us to discern when we're in the midst of a divine appointment that we wouldn't lose that, that when we hear your voice, Father, we would respond. Uh, we would not be afraid. Uh, Lord, we just, we just give ourselves afresh to you to be used and directed by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the love of God inside of us, pushing us to greater action. We commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated for just a minute. I want to say one more thing. Um, I am looking for eight couples or singles who would be willing to join uh, Laura and myself um, on a once every two week, uh, excuse me, once every two month rotation to be in the prayer room on Monday nights when the med van is here to pray for people. Um, I've talked with Spencer and Dave, and my understanding is there's, there's a man from North Tulsa who comes and kind of serves as a chaplain, but he, he's, he's overwhelmed with people and their needs, and that he's built relationships with people, so those people take his time on Monday nights. Um, and so there's a need. Other people want prayer. Other people want to hear the gospel. And so I think what a wonderful opportunity to uh, be stretched and to sh have an opportunity to share the Lord, have an opportunity to pray for people. I often leave the church building on, on Mondays at 3 o'clock, and they, there are half a dozen people out there already waiting. And they, my experience, I know Dave runs into some salty characters, and so does Spencer, but my experience has been these are precious people. These are precious people. So if you would like to um, be a part of that, we're thinking 5.30 to 7.30 on Monday nights, and again, my goal is to, to recruit eight couples or seven other couples so that it's not a burdensome thing. It's just once every couple months, um, you and your spouse or you and another friend would be there to pray for people.
So would you pray about that and think about that? This may be one avenue that God would lead you in. Thanks. Thanks very much.